Happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. We are so happy to have you here on this Resurrection Sunday. Let's all stand together and praise our risen Savior.
Thank you so much. You may be seated. Early on Sunday morning, as a new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live with great expectation. Amen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I'll tell you what, on Friday he was crucified. On Saturday, God was counting to three. And on Sunday, he rose again so that we can have everlasting life by trusting in his name. We're so glad that you've come to First Baptist Church to celebrate Resurrection Sunday with us. Thank you so much for being here. If you're a first-time guest, I got to meet a few of you. We'd ask you to do us a favor, if you would, and take one of the registration cards or the connection cards, fill that out, and then on the back, if you have a prayer request, I promise you we'll pray for that request. If you have a question or if you want to be baptized, talk about that. Whatever, that's what this is for, is to connect with us after you you're through filling it out after the service, you can give it to me, you can give it to my lovely bride, you can give it to Rachel or Gary in the back, or you can put it in the box to the left of the double doors, which is our tithe and offering box for our members, but it's also a connection card drop-off place, no stamp required. Uh, for our first-time guests. We're so glad to have you here. Military Meal will have their lunch uh, on the patio right after this. So if you're in the military, active duty, you are invited to a free lunch. I hope you will take advantage of that. And uh, Gary, if there's, there's overflow available, there's still some seats, maybe, uh, maybe 10 or 12 right down here in the front. So, uh, but after that, the overflow is available. Uh, we're glad to have everyone here. We're going to have a special deal on Wednesday night, and I'm going to ask Denny to come and explain what that's all about. So this is Denny Kiefer from Men of Resolution Ministry. Would you give him a welcome? Thanks, Pastor Bay. And uh, welcome. Good morning, church. I just want to just uh, tell real briefly, this coming Wednesday, the 12th of, of, of the, uh, Wednesday's the 12th, <laughs> and uh, 5.30, and we'll go till about 8.15. So movie and a meal right here. We're going to take some of the chairs out, put in some tables, and so we'll have, uh, you know, some great food here for you at 5.30. 5.45, the movie starts, and we're just going to have a great time of, of fellowship. And uh, that'll be a, a kickoff to a men's small group where we talk about biblical manhood. And uh, there should be a, a video showing shortly, and I'll give you a little bit more idea about what that group is all about. So, so thank you very much, and looking forward to your attendance. Thank you. Thank you. Go ahead and show the video, gentlemen. We were made to be courageous. We were made to lead the way. We could be the generation. 
When did you first think of yourself as a man? What? No, no, no. I mean, when did you first think, I'm a man now? <laughs> Come on, you can't be serious. We are not talking about this. No, you just, just humor me for a second. Think about it. Maybe when I moved out, or when I turned 21, I, I don't know. So when you're legal? Yeah. What about you, Shane? I don't know. I mean, when I got my license, or my first job, I mean, what does it matter? Bobby? When my father told me I was. When I was 17, he had to leave for three months to do a job. He told me that he thought of me as a man. He wanted me to take care of the family. I'm learning that God wants me to call out the man and my son. All right, if you haven't already signed up, by the way, I want apologies to the men of First Baptist Church because I said you weren't very spiritual because you didn't want to go to discipleship stuff. 24 guys have signed up for this that's starting this coming Wednesday night, and we're hoping, we're hoping more sign up today. The table, Denny will be right outside the double doors at the sign-up table, at the greeting table, and that's where you can sign up, and I hope that you will. But listen, come to see the movie, come to have the meal anyhow, regardless, on Wednesday night, 5.30, and we'd love to have you there for that. Next Sunday, be back in our chronological study of the life of Christ. We'll be talking about a conversation with Jesus, and then afterwards, we'll have another free lunch for those who want to be... Um, considering joining the First Baptist Church, we'll have a new member class, so we'll eat together, and then we'll have about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes class after that. By the way, if your children are still in the service right now, we're not having our usual Bible time. If you want to take them to their class, the teachers are in there, and some kids are already in there, and we have a gift for them a little bit later, so they're going to want to be in there for the class for sure. Let's stand together. We'll continue to worship our Lord and Savior.
team for leading us in worship today. You may be seated in the congregation.
Thank you, Olivia. That's our own Lauren Daigle right there, except Lauren needs to improve a little bit to be like her. So, all right. Thank you, Olivia. We appreciate that. John chapter 14, if you'd like to follow along in the New Testament for the first part of the message this year, as most of you know, maybe many of you know, we have embarked on a chronological study of the life of Christ, everything up to his baptism, uh, the birth, the presentation at the temple, the circumcision, the uh, traveling to Egypt, the coming back to Nazareth, all of that that we talked about, first miracle and all that was uh, kind of in preparation for his public ministry. And since then, it goes into his proclamation of ministry. So much more to come in the study of the life of Christ. But we want to fast forward today because it's Easter, because it's Resurrection Sunday. We want to share the, something that's toward the very end of the gospel accounts, and that is the passion of the Christ. The passion is the suffering and the death and the, thank God, the resurrection of our Savior from the dead. Now, the resurrection from the dead, I don't know about you, but to me, it's the thing that gives me hope. It's the thing that, it's the, it's the spiritual oxygen upon which I thrive. If I get down a little bit and I think about the hope that we have in Christ, with this world being upside down, crazy, insane, getting nuttier by the nanosecond, to know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, to know that his word is forever established in heaven, to know that he was buried, he was crucified, buried, rose again, and he's coming back. I hope he comes back today, to tell you the truth. Hopefully he waits until get, I get through with the message, otherwise that was a lot of wasted effort. But, but right after the service, in the invitation to hear the trumpet sound and we just take off, wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, how many are ready for that? Let me see your hands. All right, that solved a lot of problems. Now, The Passion of the Christ is, was the name of a movie a little while back, but the reason it was called The Passion of the Christ is because the word passion, originally not used very much today in this context, uh, meant from the Latin, meant suffering. So his passion was literally his suffering. The passion narratives are the sections of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, 
Luke and John, that deal with his agony in the garden, that deal with his beating and his being crowned with thorns and mocked and ridiculed and beard plucked out and smitten in the face and finally crucified on the cross, that's, that constitutes his, uh, his passion. It includes the Last Supper, his agony in Gethsemane, his arrest and trial, and ultimately his crucifixion. So let's begin kind of a little chronological study of his passion, a little micro study of that. And first of all, we start in Gethsemane and before. And we see his last words in John chapter 14, verse 1, one of the last words that he says, let not your heart be troubled. In other words, let not be stirred up. Be agitated like water breaking on the breakers out here. If you watch the water come in and crashing on the rocks, it, it goes every which way and the bubbles and, 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 and throws anything that's floating in the water around. Don't let your heart be like that. Let it be secure. Let it be sound. Let it be at peace. Because he says, you believe in God, believe also in me. These words were spoken in the upper room. So here he is seated with his 12 disciples, soon to be pared down to 11 disciples as Judas goes out. And, and knowing, because he's omniscient, knowing what's going to happen in a very short period of time, knowing he's going to be arrested, knowing he's going to go through these mockery of trials, knowing he's going to be physically abused, knowing he's going to die, most of all knowing he's carrying my sins and your sins upon his shoulders, knowing all of that is going to happen to him. What does he do? He comforts his disciples. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I, I was looking on Facebook. I look on Facebook too much, my wife says. But I was looking on Facebook. She says I post too much also. Uh, but I was on Facebook looking, and I saw a meme. And it said, what would you do if you knew you just had a couple of days to live? And I thought, I can remember thinking of that when I was a kid. What would I do? I, you know, I, I don't know, I'd go out and eat all the pizza I could. I'd, I'd, you know, I don't know, you think of something that you would do. If I had my life, I'd spend everything I got. I wouldn't need it because I'd be dead. You know what the meme said? Jesus knew he had just a couple of days, and he washed feet. He washed feet. That convicted me, you know? That convicted me a lot. And, I, and I, the movie uh, that we talking about Jesus' revolution. If you haven't seen it, you got to go see it. But in that, Chuck Smith, actually, because some of the church members complained about the hippies coming in, uh, and, and they had dirty feet, and they didn't wear shoes. And so he, there was a line the next Sunday, and, and they looked at the beginning of the line, and there was Jesus with a basin of water washing the feet of the hippies so they could go into the church and not mess up the carpet. I don't care if you mess up the carpet. You know what? We were talking about this this week. We had a big cleaning day yesterday, and thank you so much, you folks that came out. You did an amazing job. And someone said, well, you know, it's just we need to clean more often. We need to clean more frequently. It's just not, uh, you know, it's just too dirty. You know what? When you have people, you have stuff, and you have cleaning. We used to have at our other ministry, we had 300, 350 kids, bus kids, that came to our church, 300 to 350 bus kids, I think a high of close to 400 one time. And, and you know what happens when you bring in 400 bus kids? You have a mess. A bunch of them would, would escape and run down to the 7-Eleven and buy Slurpees. My wife would go chasing them uh, down, down the street. I don't know if she had a Slurpee or not, but she'd go chasing them, <laughs> try to get them to come back. And our kids would tear stuff off the wall. And kids would run through the hallways and, and leave scuff marks on the tile. You know what? Praise God for the scuff marks. That means some little kids are in God's house. Praise God for the message. That means people are here and using the facilities for the glory of God. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. There, Here he is getting ready to die, and he's encouraging them. He's preparing them. He's commanding them. These words are still comforting to me. Almost every memorial service, almost every funeral that I have for a Christian I say, John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter how bad things are. Don't let your heart get agitated and disturbed, but lean entirely upon the Lord. Then he spoke a few, a series of important and sometimes exclusive words, not very politically appropriate these days. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. That's not very 
inclusive. You know, we've got this uh, DEI, you know, diversity, equity, and, uh, and, I, and inclusion, and everything's supposed to be inclusive and, and all of that. But you know what? Jesus said he was the way. He was the truth. He was the life. No one else could get to the Father but by him. Well, don't we worship the same God as Islam worship? No, we do not. If you check on the God that Islam's worships, they can't know him personally. He did not die for their sins. He did not pay the price for their sins. They don't know where they're going to be for eternity. They don't know what lies ahead. They can't get close to him. He's not an intimate God. But my Bible tells me that Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. This book here says that he died on the cross for my sin. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In verse 11 of John 14, he said, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me or else believe me for the very work's sake. In John chapter 14, verse 16, he said, I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter, that blessed Holy Spirit, that one who indwells us when we get born again, that one who walks with us, that one who convicts us when we do things that we know we shouldn't, say things that we know we shouldn't. It's the Holy Spirit of God. He comforts them with this. And then the next two chapters, he warns them of dangers that lie ahead and assures them of the presence of God and everything they go through. So the discourse in John's 15 and 16 is probably given on the way uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane and referred to as the very heart of Christ. Nowhere else does he lay bare his soul like he does in John chapters 15 and 16. And he talks about abiding in the vine. He is the vine. We are the branches. We need to abide in him. If you have a fruit tree, the branches have to abide in the main branches, right? And in the trunk. Otherwise, if they're cut off, they die. And so we have to abide in the vine. He is the very source of life. His last prayers with the disciples are found in John chapter 17, that great intercessory prayer. Now, we think we've been taught probably that the Lord's prayer is, is, is God, is our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. That's, that's the disciples' prayer. The Lord's prayer is in John chapter 17, where he prays his high priestly prayer for his disciples. And guess what? He prayed for you if you're a believer. Check it out when you get home. He prayed for you in John chapter 17 for all of us who believe in him. And this is happening near the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, next what happens is a major difference between the synoptic gospels on one hand and the gospel of John on the other. Now, remember the synoptic gospels? Remember what they were? Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They are inspired by God. They write with their own vocabularies. They write with their own personalities, but they write exactly what God wanted them to write. And their accounts of everything are almost line up word for word, verse by verse, almost. John has a different perspective. Matthew shows Jesus as the king of the Jews. Mark shows him as a servant. Luke shows him as truly man, but John shows him as truly God. And so uh, there, the, the synoptic gospels and, and, the, and, and the, uh, the gospel of John uh, changed because Matthew, Mark, Luke talk of the suffering in the garden, but John doesn't mention one word of the suffering in the garden. Jesus asked his disciples to pray for him when they got to Gethsemane. He goes a little bit further and takes James and, or rather Peter, James and John, and, and, and he says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. It's grieved even to the very point of death. Abide here and watch. Pray with me right here. And he went a distance from the three and fell on the ground, asking his father if it's possible. Listen to this. Here's the son of God slain from the foundation of the world. And in this moment, knowing the horrendous things that are about to happen, he says, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. If it's possible, Father, permit me not to drink of this cup. Remove this cup from me. Then he says, how be it, not my will be done, but what thou wilt. In Mark chapter 14, verse 36. This ought to be the postscript to every prayer you and I pray. No matter how serious no matter how earth-shattering, no matter how petty it might be. When we pray a prayer, we ought to say, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. How many of you, I'm gonna, this is a moment of truth. How many of you ever prayed for that girlfriend or boyfriend to love you? Huh? Let me see your, come on, come on, come on. You prayed for that. 
And, and, and thank God for unanswered prayers sometimes, amen? That great gospel song, thank God for unanswered prayers. I'll tell you what, I thank God he didn't answer the prayers I prayed when I was in high school. I thank God he gave me who I got right now. And she loves me, and I don't know why, but she does. And I appreciate it. He says, let this cup pass from me. And so we ought to pray that, that same thing. And then Luke, who did you know was a medical doctor? Luke was a physician, and he says uh, he alone talks about the extreme results of the stress and pressures on our Lord. He says in chapter 22 and verse 44, being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and listen to this, his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. I heard someone ask this week or talk about this week, was it just that his sweat was like drops of blood? It was, it was no. It was blood mingled with his sweat. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. Jesus came back to the disciples three different times on three occasions, and he came back, and each time they were asleep. In his hour of greatest need, his disciples were asleep. God help us in this hour of great need in this world not to be asleep, not to be asleep on the job, but to be close to God and doing what we're supposed to be doing. And this idea of could you not watch only one hour I wonder, don't, no show of hands on this, but I wonder if you've ever prayed for one hour straight. I mean, you say, oh, that, that'd be, it's not easy, folks. And I invite you this week sometime to set aside an hour when you're not going to be disturbed, when you're not going to be bothered, and, and have a list of, of people you're going to pray for, things you're going to pray for, the country you're going to pray for, our political leaders that you're going to pray for, uh, your boss, your neighbors, your, your family members. Write that and pray. Spend, see how it is to pray an hour in prayer. The disciples fell asleep. His last moments of freedom, Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, knew the place well where Jesus would be, and he led uh, some men there for the purpose of apprehending Jesus the Christ. In fact, in John chapter 18, verse 3, the words say, Judas then having received a band of men and officers. Now, the interesting thing is the Greek for that's been translated, uh, the men and officers, the Greek word was cohort, which literally meant 600 soldiers. So in other words, here comes Judas Iscariot, possibly with a detachment of soldiers, maybe soldiers in detail from the, the uh, temple guards, I don't know. But it says he came from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they came with lanterns and torches and weapons. Only God's, John's gospel tells us that when they came into the garden and Jesus said to them, whom, whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he spoke the words, I am. And the Bible says they fell backwards. They fell backwards because he was using the very title. If you remember last year, the I am, the great I am, referring to a title of God, the only one, the I am, the I am existent one, self-existent one. And so he said that and they fell backwards. And, and then they went from Gethsemane to Gabbatha. Now, you maybe haven't heard of Gabbatha, but in John chapter 18, verse 14, and John 19, 1 through 3, the Bible says, Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, beat him mercilessly with the cat of nine tails, was mentioned in a moment, and the soldiers braided a crown of thorns, maybe two or three inches long, and put it on his head, and they pushed it down. They put a purple robe. Maybe that's why we have... The purple on the cross is a, sign, a symbol of, of, of a king. And they put on the purple robe and they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. They slapped him and, and hit him with other things as well. From verses 12 and 13, from that moment, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, If you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. Whosoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate heard these sayings, he brought Jesus forth and set him down in the judgment seat in a place called the pavement. But in the Hebrew, what was it called? Gabbatha. In the Hebrew, it was called Gabbatha. This was this elevated uh, platform of paved stone where tribunals were held for criminals. And they, they held it there, this mockery of a trial. And then they sentenced him to be scourged with the cat of nine tails and some prisoners you know, probably died even at the whipping post. They didn't even make it to crucifixion. So we have Gethsemane, then you have Gabbatha, then you move thirdly to Golgotha, the place of the skull. 
Now, let me, let me depart for a moment. What I'm going to say next is not from the Word of God. It's an actual experience. You remember the, the movie, The Passion of the Christ? How many of you saw the movie, The Passion of the Christ, several years back? It was an amazing movie. I'm going to quote to you from some, some direct quotes. It said, Mel Gibson warned actor Jim Caviezel that playing the character of Christ was going to be very difficult and that if he accepted, he most likely would be marginalized by Hollywood. Cancel culture existed even back then. Caviezel asked for a day to think about it, and his response to Mel, who was funding and directing the movie, was, I think we have to make it, even if it will be difficult. And something else, Caviezel said, my initials are JC, and I'm 33 years old. Now, if you know anything about your Bible, that's significant on two counts right there. Mel responded with, you're really scaring me, you know. During the filming of this movie, listen to this. Jim Caviezel, you probably read, maybe you've read this. Jim Caviezel played the part of Jesus, lost 45 pounds. He was struck by lightning, accidentally struck twice during the scourging scene, leaving a 14-inch long scar. He dislocated his shoulder when they dropped the cross into the hole. He suffered pneumonia and hypothermia from being nearly naked with only a loincloth on the cross for endless hours. The crucifixion scene, when he was dressed that way, took five weeks of the two months of shooting. His body was so stressed and exhausted from playing the role that he had to undergo two open-heart procedures, surgeries, after the filming production. He later said, I didn't want people to see me. I wanted them to see Jesus. Conversions will happen through that. Almost like a clairvoyant prediction, many amazing things happened. Pedro Sarubi, uh, who played Bar Barabbas, felt it was not Caviezel who was looking at him, but Jesus Christ himself as he played the role of Caviezel. He said, his eyes had no hatred or resentment towards me, only mercy and love. Luca Lionello, the artist who played Judas, was an avowed atheist before the filming of The Passion of the Christ. He eventually converted and baptized his children. Of the main technicians working on the film was a Muslim who converted to Christianity. The Passion of the Christ, still quoting, is the highest grossing U.S. religious film of all time with $370.8 million, but worldwide grossing over $611 million. More importantly, it's reached hundreds of millions of people around the world. Mel Gibson paid $30 million out of his own pocket for the production of the film because no studio would touch the project. Today, Jim Caviezel simply and proudly and boldly, brother, proclaims his faith in Christ, the miracle it was for him to represent Christ as an actor and as a greater believer of Christ because of his experience. And folks, that was just playing the part of Jesus in a movie. It wasn't doing what Jesus really did. It wasn't, it wasn't actually being crucified. It wasn't actually being beaten 39 lashes with the cat of nine tails. It wasn't in reality bearing your sins and my sins upon his shoulders, which I believe was probably the worst part of the crucifixion, was his dad, his father, turning his back on his only begotten son because he stood there guilty with our sins, not with his own, but with our sins. So John 19 says they delivered him, therefore to be crucified, and they took Jesus and they led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth to a place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew, Golgotha. And there they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the middle. In 1986, the American Medical Association published an article uh, detailing the probable events uh, and, and effects of crucifixion the physical death of Jesus Christ. It talks about the entire process of his trial uh, and his death on the cross. In Luke 22, when it talks about the bloody sweat, they said that that's an actual condition called hematidrosis, where the capillaries burst and break under extreme stress and pressure and mingle actually with the perspiration. And so what fell from him was actually droplets of blood mingled with perspiration. At the time, the crucifixion, they said, was considered the worst form of death for criminals. But it's not all that Jesus faced. The whipping, the scourging that he faced was so severe, it tore flesh from his body. He was beaten so horrifically that his face was torn. His beard was ripped. A crown of thorns, two to three inches long, cut deeply in his scalp. The leather whip used to flog him had tiny 
iron balls that would cause deep bruising and sharp bones that would tear the flesh and rip open the flesh. His skeletal muscles and veins and bowels probably were exposed, causing major blood loss. Most men did not survive this kind of torture. But after Jesus was severely flogged, he was forced to carry his own cross, probably the upper part of the ta, uh, the T. He was, he was made to carry that while the people mocked and spat upon him. Crucifixion was a process meant to instill excruciating pain, creating a slow and agonizing death. Nails as long as eight inches long were driven into his wrists and feet strategically, strategically so that they would hold him there, tearing tendons and, and, and causing them to break, forcing Jesus to use his back muscles to push up uh, with all the agony involved with it, to take in a breath and then to slump again and, and to exhale in the process. And every time he wanted to take in a new breath, he had to do that, push up with his legs and, and use his back muscles. The Gospel of John writes that after Jesus' death, a Roman soldier took a spear and plunged it into his side, and that after that, or out of that wound came blood and water. And there's a situation under duress and extreme stress and pressure whereby fluids build up around the heart, build up around the lungs, and cause the breathing to be very, very restricted and very, very difficult. And when that soldier took the spear and drove it, in, and drove it into our Savior's side, that water and that blood poured out. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. False theories about the resurrection abound everywhere. There's the fraud theory. Didn't really happen. The disciples came by night and stole the body. Oh, and I guess they knocked out the Roman guards too. Oh, and they probably rolled away the stones themselves. Oh, and they paid for the fraud by dying as martyrs. Let me ask you something. If you were lying about something you knew wasn't true, would you in fact die for that cause? Does it make sense to you that the disciples would be willing to be, some of them crucified themselves, others of them dying in various other ways? Do you think they would go to their death without recanting and saying, I've got a confession to make? We stole the body. We went there by night. We took, he didn't really rise from the dead, but they died knowing that what they said was true. There's the swoon theory. Jesus didn't really die. Sure, he'd been through a rough time. He passed out from exhaustion and loss of blood, but in the tomb and the coolness of the tomb, it revived him. And then after three days without food, without water, he was already in a dehydrated condition, beaten mercilessly in a traumatized state. After all that, he recovered enough with, to have the strength to roll the stone away and to overpower the Roman guards. There's the hallucination theory. When the ladies went to the tomb, Mary was so overcome with emotion that she just thought she saw Jesus. She hallucinated. She just thought she talked with him. She just thought she saw angels on the stone that was rolled away. The disciples over, overcame, uh, likewise uh, were overcome and thought they saw Jesus in the midst speaking. In fact, hundreds of people to whom he revealed himself after his resurrection just thought they saw. Doesn't make sense to me. They went to the wrong tomb. If you have a loved one and you go to the cemetery, do you ever, have you ever gone to the wrong tomb? That would be, this was only three days later. If the disciples were my age, I can understand maybe they went to the wrong tomb. <laughs> maybe the wrong cemetery. But it was only three days later. They knew exactly where he was buried. It was Joseph's tomb. Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. As someone said on, on Facebook this week too, said, uh, Joseph, Pilate's talking, Pilate talking to Joseph, said, what are you doing? You spent a lot of money for your tomb. You, you, it cost a lot of money to have that fixed up just right, have that stone put there and have all, why would you give it away? Joseph said, oh, he only needs it for three days. I'll get it back. They went to the right tomb. The angels didn't go to the wrong tomb. The women didn't go to the wrong tomb. John and Peter didn't go to the wrong tomb. They went to the right one. There's the ghost theory. What they saw was an apparition. It was a spirit. The Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus rose from the dead spiritually, not physically, but the whole word resurrection means to stand upright again. I don't know about a spirit lying down or standing upright again, but I do know this. Jesus stood up in that tomb. Jesus took the grave clothes and folded them. Jesus put the grave clothes folded down on the slab on which he lay, and the stone was rolled away, not so he could get out, but so the world could see 
it was empty. And it was the same tomb. The resurrection bodily proven by an empty tomb, Matthew 28, proven by the full grave clothes, John chapter 20, the testimony of the angels in John chapter 28, the changed disciples. They went from lying about knowing Christ and fleeing from the scene to boldly proclaiming the gospel. How do you account for that? The testimony of the angels, the changed disciples, the wounds. He said to Thomas, who was a doubter, he said, reach your finger hither, behold my hands and, and, and my feet, thrust it into my side. Know that I am who I say I am. Know I am, this is a real body. Be not faithless, but believing. His post-resurrection appearances to Mary Magdalene, to the other women, to Peter, to two disciples in Luke 24, to 10 apostles in Luke 24, to Thomas and the others in John 20, to seven of the apostles in John 21, to all the apostles in Matthew 28, to all the apostles again in Acts chapter 1, to 500 Christians at one time in 1 Corinthians 15, to James and to Paul as well. Those are all proofs of the bodily, physical resurrection of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hey, the whole idea, where you are today is a proof of the resurrection of Christ. You're sitting in a church. The building is housing the church. The church is not the plaster and the wood and the beams and the cement and the carpet and the chairs. That is not the church. You are the church. And we have the church today because he built his church upon himself, upon the rock. A whole day of worship. We come together not on Saturday, which was the Sabbath in Bible days. It's always been the seventh day. From the day that God rested in the, uh, the Garden of Eden, it was the Sabbath. It was the seventh day. But something happened, and now we worship on the first day of the week. Why is that? It was because he rose from the dead, 1 Corinthians 16, 2. And then the calendar. We've got calendars we give away every year. I think there's some back there right now. The calendar says 2023. Guess what that's dated from? That's dated from the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. There's B.C. and A.D. Don't give me this common era business. It's B.C. and A.D. It's, it's, it's before Christ, and then it's the year of our Lord, and, 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 and it's, it's God. So the whole calendar changed. I mean, it's the year, the Jews have a calendar of 5,900 something or whatever it is, but ours is 2023, dated from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's never happened ever before with anyone else. The silence of the unbelievers who were alive at this time uh, is a profound evidence of the resurrection. They could have refuted claims. The Roman soldiers could have said, you know what? His body didn't raise from the dead. Uh, the, the disciples came and bribed us or over." powered us or whatever, and they took the body of the Savior out of that tomb, but that's not what happened. The martyrdom of Stephen, he saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God, the many infallible proofs in Acts chapter 1. But you know one that I love very much, a reason that I believe in the resurrection is because of the personal testimony of what Jesus Christ has done for me. Because he lives within me, he indwells me. His Holy Spirit, that comforter he promised has actually come. That comfort, uh, comforter gives me hope, lets me know there's something beyond this grave. My mom and dad are already in heaven. I get to see them again someday. My grandparents are in heaven. I get to see them again one day. Guess what? My Savior's in heaven. I get to see him again one day because he is alive and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever and always shall be. He is my Savior. Is he is. Is he yours? To the world, Christianity is a crutch. It's for the weak, the mentally weak, the emotionally weak, the spiritually weak. You've got to have something else. I've got school friends that I went to high school with who said, we're just, one of these days we're going to die, we're going to be stardust floating around. I don't know if it's stardust or just plain dust. I don't know which it's going to be. That's why I don't dust stuff. It may be a relative, you know. You know. <laughs> don't give me that. You're going to be stardust business? You're going to live in heaven or you're going to live in hell? There's two choices. The key is location, 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 right? That's everything. Where are you going to be? Depending upon your relationship with Jesus Christ, 
because this idea of a cross, there's nothing weak about it. Jesus was strong. He was a man. I believe that. He was a man's man. He was, a, he was brought up in a carpenter's shop. He didn't go down to Home Depot and order some two-by-fours when they wanted two-by-fours in Jesus' day. He had to go out and cut them down and, and take the bark off and cut them to size and do whatever else needed to work that wood and carry it and, and, and build things. And they didn't have power tools. And yet he buckled under the weight, not of the cross, but under the weight of my sins and under the weight of your sins and the weight of seven or eight billion people that are alive today and those who've always, who've always have lived for the last several years. He, he took the weight of our sins and died on that cross. God's wrath was fully satisfied in Jesus Christ and it's left up to us simply to repent and to believe. God is among us in the flesh. Jesus is our Savior. He loves you so much. He, Jesus is the Almighty God, the everlasting Father. Are you trusting him? Is he your God? He can be today if you allow him to. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Every head bowed for just a moment. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us so much that you would be willing to send your only begotten son to die on the cross. I cannot imagine that. I could never have come up with that kind of a plan, not even close. I can't even comprehend the kind of love you must have for people, not only who follow you and love you, but for those who reject you, curse you, use your name in vain, spit upon you. You loved us. You sent your son to die for us. And Jesus, thank you for being willing to drink of that cup, even though it was awful. The suffering that you endured physically doesn't compare, I'm sure, with the spiritual separation from your father that moment when you took our sins upon yourself. So thank you. And Holy Spirit, thank you for allowing us to be saved to drawing, by drawing us to your father. So Lord, we pray that everyone here would this Easter know Christ as their Lord and Savior. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if, if you want to receive Christ as your personal Savior, I invite you to pray a prayer. But it's not just saying the words. It's meaning from your heart. I really want to change. I really want to repent of my sins. I really want to live for God. I really want God to come in and live with me. If that's your desire, would you pray something like this? Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I'm going to die and stand before you one day. I believe that. But I'm not ready yet. I need Christ. I need his forgiveness. I need him to be the Lord of my life. I believe that he's your son and he rose again from the dead. And so right now, I trust you, God, for giving me my sins. Come into my life and be my Lord and my master. With every head bowed for a moment more, if you just prayed that prayer right now, you just prayed that prayer, you meant it, sincere as you know how to be. With every head bowed, just lift your hand up for a moment. Let me pray for you. I won't embarrass you. I won't point you out. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else besides these? Anyone else? Hold it up for just a moment. God bless you. Thank you. God loves you. God bless you, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you so much. You can put your hand down. Anybody else? Anybody else? Father, I'm so grateful, so thankful for these who prayed. Lord, I know that you're going to reward their faith with everlasting life. I pray that you'd help them get started on this brand new experience, this brand new life of living for Christ, turning to you, experiencing repentance and a new birth. God, bring people alongside of them who will teach them, train them, disciple them, so that they can live successful lives for Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. On the back table right by the sound booth, the sound booth there's some blue plastic bags. You who prayed that prayer just now, be sure to pick up those. And, and there's a booklet in there about my next step. What do I do now? Now that I prayed that prayer, is that all there is to it? That's just the beginning, just the beginning. Pick that book, that bag up, take it with you. No one's going to question you. No one's going to say, what are you doing with that? Take it, it's yours. 
And we're so glad that you're here today. Let's stand. We'll have an invitation. If you want someone to pray with you, I'm down here, guys. If you want to, want to pray with me, where is uh, is Ryan here? Or is he in the? Is he getting ready? Ryan, right back here. Yeah, Ryan, wave your hand again, guys. You can pray with him also. Uh, Rachel's right back in the back. My wife's down here. Whatever we can do. If you want to be saved, if you want to know about joining the church, if you want to be baptized, whatever it is. Uh, we'll be glad to pray with you right now as we sing two verses just for you. Just for you, come on. Thank you for coming today. I think with this crowd, with the other crowd, we may have had some kind of an attendance record to the glory of God. Uh, thank you so much for being here. And visitors, you made our day. We're so glad you're here. Three reminders. First of all, if you're guys, if you're interested in coming Wednesday night, 5.30, free meal, and watch the movie and talk about maybe being discipled. You don't have to make a decision until then. Uh, sign up on the uh, greeting table out front. Secondly, next week, conversation with Jesus in our chronolo chronological study, The Life of Christ. Also next Sunday after church, we have a new member luncheon. So please sign up for that. You can do that by taking one of the connection cards, filling it out, putting down your name and contact number and how many will be there. And we'll make sure we're prepared for that. So it's been good to be in the house of the Lord today. He is risen. He is risen indeed. May God bless you. Have a great rest of your Easter morning. God bless you. Thank you.